Hey, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and today on LGBTQ and A, I'm talking to Kathy Tu, who is one of the co-hosts of the podcast Nancy. We have a really great conversation about the ongoing process of self-acceptance as a queer person. Now, I don't know, that feels a little silly to say, but it is a process and there's no timeline for it. So I think it's really valuable to hear someone like Kathy, someone who's been out for over a decade, talk about not accepting being queer, but finally loving it. So we discuss that as well as dating and a very 2018 topic, anxiety. That's coming up. If you haven't already, though, please subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you prefer. Although specifically subscribing on iTunes, ranking us five stars, and leaving a comment there is one of the biggest ways that new people find our show. So big thank you for that. And then as always, don't forget to check out our old home at AfterBuzz TV. They're the number one place for all your TV after show discussions. All right, without further ado, here's Kathy. So you co-host the podcast, Nancy. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that you've said that before the podcast, you didn't really think that much about being queer or have that queer of a life. Yeah. That really surprised me because now you're a de facto voice for the community, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That sometimes feels like a lot of pressure, but I think we try to make it so that people know that I'm figuring it out with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, because it's nothing's more intimidating than talking than listening to a bunch of people that have everything figured out. Yeah, I think that like where we are as a community now in 2018, we are still figuring it out, which is exciting. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So not having thought much about it beforehand and then being like plunged into it, it's been an an, an interesting experience trying to figure my way through through that. Ultimately, for for the better too, because I hadn't I didn't spend that much time thinking about myself like how do I identify what makes me more comfortable that sort of thing and that's an I think that's an important thing to do if you had any part of your I don't know part like there's anything in you that's like something doesn't feel quite right yeah but I don't know what it is I'm just ignore it which is what I did for a long time so in that I guess figuring out who you are process that we're all going through has anything in that surprised you I'm surprised that I know I have short hair (laughs) Which I don't think surprises any of my friends. Really? I mean, they're like, oh, your personality finally matches what you look like now. I think that's the most surprising thing to me is taking ownership of how I look. Because for a, for a long time, I was made to believe that how I, how I present now to the world with like short hair and I generally dress like, you know, t-shirt and jeans and I hardly ever dress up for anything. I was surprised that I'd be okay with it. Even, even, though, even though now I'm not 100% there yet. But yeah. I do feel better. And these are all positive changes, right? Yeah. Cool. I don't want to insinuate that people like have to have queer friends. Although, no. to, to be honest, I am always a little bit weirded out when I meet a queer person and they don't really have queer friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I feel like it tells you a lot about where they are on their journey. I mean, in terms of being like out and proud, mm. I feel like I came out around 19 and I'm just now confidently proud. I would agree with you. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't come out till I was 21. Wow. And now I feel, okay, it's been a decade. Uh, it's been a decade. Oh, wow. I am 32, that's big. though. And, and uh, I think that that's just like now getting proud has been like a last couple years process for me, too. And it, doesn't it also, do you find that it goes with the way society is changing a little bit, at least in the, the larger cities, coastal cities? I don't think it hurts, but I think it's really just kind of like the growing and like getting to know yourself process Mm. of an adulthood. Yeah, that's true. 
I mean, I used to be plagued by the question of if you had a choice, would you choose to be queer? Mm-hmm. And for years, I would say, no, I'm totally okay being queer, but no, this is, makes life so much harder. And now I'm kind of realizing the, the gift it is, and mm-hmm. I really love being queer, and I couldn't always say that. Oh, wow. I think I had a similar moment when I was in, when I was in, when I was just coming out in college. I remember thinking like, it'd be kind of cool if I was gay, but not knowing that I was. <laughs> and then like a few months later, I was like, oh, I see what's happening. <laughs> I, it was like an evolution. I just didn't see it coming. That's so funny that you thought of that. I first. totally thought about that. Yeah. I was like, you know, it's really cool that Angelina Jolie is okay with dating any gender. That's cool. It's no impact on me. <laughs> so were you then surprised when you were queer? <laughs> yeah, I think I was. I mean, I didn't have like a uh, a devastating moment of like, oh, no, I'm gay. My parents are never going to be okay with me. I think I more so was lonely at the time and thinking like, if I am, like, let this person that I have a crush on, let them like me back. I don't care if I'm queer. I just, I think I was just lonely. And I really wanted somebody around. Didn't matter who the who the gender was. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so the queerness part didn't hit me as much until I started to, like, come out to my parents. Then it was like, oh, this is a thing that is very difficult to deal with. <laughs> but in other parts of my life, I was generally like okay with it did you automatically feel comfortable in queer spaces oh that's the other thing i don't think i knew what a queer space was because i just assumed that the world is just gonna be straight i didn't i didn't know that there was a concept as a queer space so i didn't know to seek those out and i didn't know that those places could exist and that i would even think about going there. Then when I did find out about them, I was immediately intimidated because I was like, they've all got, they've got it figured out and I don't have it figured out. I can't just show up. And if you go, they'll they'll like smell you out. They'll know (laughs) that I'm like a newbie. You know, it's like joining any like new club for the first time. Like I have a hard time going to anything new on my own because I'm like, I'm the new person. It's going to be so awkward. And I don't think that's even a queer experience. I think that's a universal human experience. (laughs) I, I find that to be true with queer spaces too. Yeah. And I know that you're not a big drinker. Where did you find queer spaces? Because I automatically think of gay bars. Yeah, I I don't drink because I'm kind of allergic to it. <laughs> so I, I never really enjoyed the bar scene. I honestly didn't look for a queer space until... I want to get this right. Did I look for a queer space? Oh, you know what? I got dragged to a um uh, a club when I was in law school called the Queer Caucus. But I was dragged there by my straight friend, who was a really good ally. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> so that was the first time I was in a a queer space. But it didn't, I don't know, maybe it just didn't, it just felt like any other club to me. It didn't feel any warmer or inclusive than any other place. But I think that has more to do with where I was in my in my queerness. I didn't appreciate yet what a queer space could do for me. I always initially thought about these like queer groups and clubs that if I go, they're all going to know I'm gay, even though that's kind of the point. It still put pressure on me thinking they're going to think I'm gay. All these these gay people will think I'm gay. (laughs) Even though you are. (laughs) Yeah, I did. It just something about that didn't feel good. Huh. That's interesting. It's funny, too, that now you host this really big queer podcast and you're Mm -hmm. creating queer space in like the audio world. Yeah, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah. And doing the podcast really ushered in this queer 
phase in your life, right? Or the, mm. the extra oh queer. Oh my God. My mom is like, do you have to do a queer podcast? Can't you do a podcast on anything else? Oh my God. My mom was like, well, can't you interview straight people too? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but how do you, I was like, how do I explain to you that that question itself is you not like accepting me completely yet? Yeah, just asking that in itself isn't quite there yet, mom. But it's really hard to explain that. Yeah, especially in Mandarin, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> don't not to sound too woo woo, but don't you often feel like your gut and subconscious chooses the thing that you most need, even if you're not aware of it? Hmm. Wait, give me an example. You started your podcast, Nancy, without really oh. knowing the changes it would have in your personal life. Yeah, I was really along for the for the ride. I, 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 I feel like I'm not a person that trusts my gut too much because my gut has been wrong so many times. But who I do trust is I trust a lot of people around me. And I really trust that Tobin, he has been, my co-host Tobin has been like a guiding ship in this entire endeavor. And I, I know what my contributions are to the project, but he was somebody that I always felt was super confident in his queerness from the day I met him. I think I tried to emulate him as much as I, I could when we started the project. So he, I mean, if he hadn't been like, hey, you want to work on this thing together? I don't think I'd be where I am like personally. And I'm really thankful for that growth. And I've, I've told him in like a in a non-teary drive in LA and be like, hey, Tobin, I really appreciate you. <laughs> and he was like, aw. Did it, did it go like that in that, in that kind of tone? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I appreciate you, Tobin, whatever. <laughs> and of course, you don't have to be so entrenched in a queer community. Yeah. But also, like, isn't it the best? <laughs> oh, my God, it really is. It yeah. really is. Um, I've, I've compared it before to, like, one of the best times I ever had was well when I went to Transom the the podcast the the radio school that Tobin and I met where we're all focused intensely on like one thing that you love that was one of the best experiences I ever had but prior to that one of the best experiences I ever had was taking summer Chinese school with a bunch of people who were the same as me where we could all understand Mandarin but none of us could read or write and the bond that happened in that class was like so intense. Like I live with my roommate for the last few years. I've been the guy that I met in college in that class. And to me, it sort of feels the same. Like when when you are part of a community with people that can like, you don't have to do the explanatory comma. That is what I feel like the community does, at least for me. Yeah, because so many people have that... Um that experience in their life where they're the gay person or the oh trans God. person I know. and they're the token thing, right? Yeah. In your friend groups, you're probably the one that has to be like, this is what this means. This is what this term means, which I play all the time. Yeah. And not having to do that is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel like very fortunate to be able to, I don't know, like have close friends that are queer. And I'm like, how yeah. simple that sounds. I know, right? And I think it's really powerful to hear somebody you said you're 32, a 32 who is still figuring it out and adjusting, for lack yeah, of a better word. We uh we came out late in life, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know if you knew. Is that wild? Yeah. <laughs> I was 19, right? Yeah, that's like I, I like kids come out in like middle school now, and it's like amazing to me that they they are able to figure these things out. I and I have to wonder if 
I have to wonder if they're subjected to some kind of extra bullying. Like, is it safer to come out early or are they coming out early because there's more role models, but they're still subjected to uh, bullying and like violence at a like uh, at a smaller extent, but for a longer period of time? Yeah, I I guess I don't I don't know. I don't have any kid friends, (laughs) really. But I guess that's like all over the place, right? Depending on where you are, what kind of school you're at, whether or not you like present as um, a queer person. Some people don't even have a choice. They right. just, you know, they just are who they are. And yeah, I guess I think, I think a lot about how like the stat is that 40% of homeless youth are queer or LGBTQ God. on the spectrum. Yeah. And that's a massive number. And I just have to wonder if now they feel more comfortable to come out, but that means that they're kicked out of their home. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I And I don't know the answer to that. Me neither. Homeless youth are, I, I guess I just, it's like one of those things where like I don't know how to how to help besides like just throw money at the organizations that are doing like good work. Recently, I started donating to the LA LGBT Center, and I hope they're doing stuff in that. Oh, massively! Department. Yeah, okay. they're huge. Yeah, okay. yeah, totally great. Good. Yeah, I once had somebody on the podcast say that the notion of a community for mm-hmm. LGBTQ people is fiction because we all are all such different people. We come from different backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses and all these um, different categories and i thought about that a lot and i really disagree yeah i do too yeah right (laughs) and since then i've been trying to think about what makes us a community and i look for commonalities and themes across people in interviews i do and uh not to put you on the spot but i Mm. wonder if you had like an answer to that question doing the work that you do like about what makes us a community i don't know if this answers the question but i actually think more so this actually makes me think tangentially to how there's some people who can celebrate themselves being a queer person and different than, say, the the norm, whatever the norm is. And then there's the queer person who wants to be seen as the norm. And I feel like those are the two things that, those are the kind of like the two general categories of people and how they perceive community. Because I feel like me personally, I used to be of the camp of, I just want to be a queer person, but just be quote unquote normal, normal, whatever normal is at the time. Like, I think it's because my mom used to always say that's not normal. So you can't do that. So I just wanted to be normal. Like everybody else, I wanted to look like a straight person. I wanted to pass. I wanted my sexuality to not be a big deal. And I think that's true still for a lot of people. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Some people are just into being seen as like the majority because it's comfortable being in the majority. <laughs> and then on the, on the flip side, the people that need community are the ones who can see themselves as queer, as queer and never fitting in into the majority no matter what. I think I'm more so in that camp now. I feel like what binds us together is just this, I feel like it's like a gentle knowing of that we're not the majority. It's like, I, I don't know if there's like a specific... If there are specific categories that we can be plopped into, I mean, like the ones that are easiest are, you know, people who are on far ends of the scale, like the lesbians and the gay men. Um, There are stereotypes about both ends of that spectrum because those characteristics are a lot more defined. But I feel like for the majority of the people who fall anywhere between that, that spectrum, trying to find community is just whoever you get along with. Yeah, I think anyways, I don't know if there's exactly like a, if there's like certain characteristics that make you community, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't think I I have like a giant community of people 
that are queer that I hang out with regularly. Are, they're, they're straight? I think, well, I, I think I just, I like, I prefer to hang out with people one-on-one. Oh. So I tend to not be like, hey, here's a group thing where it's all queer people or is a group thing that's like half and half or something like that. I tend to always hang out with people one or one or like two people at once. Oh, and in that instance, it's just about the two of you and getting along versus what the yeah. community identity is. Right, right, oh. right, right, right. But I don't feel like I'm like, I'm not part of a greater community of queer people. Like if I needed to reach out to, they would be there for me. But I don't tend to like hang out generally as like as a group in that in that format. I think I had the similar journey that you did mm. from this heteronormative thinking of yeah I'm queer, but if I get married and have kids and like that white picket fence, like nobody will know and it's gonna be fine. And yeah. and that and I thought like that because that provides some sort of safety. It does. Yeah, but yeah. I think that like part of the joy of being queer is that we realize that there are no rules in terms of like societal standards. And that we don't need to fall by them because they don't exist. And that's been really freeing in almost every aspect of my life. Yeah, I I would agree that's that's where I'm at now. But I also think that there's people that just love rules. There's going to be people who who just want to be able to get married and have kids and leave that lifestyle that's happened for like the last century or so. Probably the majority of people, right? Probably the majority of, I mean, like, I would say even like queer people um, that, want stuff like that and I guess I tend to now like shy away from saying like that that's not okay or it's like it's just another way of being queer yeah it's not doesn't mean that you're not you're against like queer people now because you want the things that straight people want the big PR battle was for marriage equality for so Mm. long and it also cemented in American minds that all queer people want to get married and they want to lead this heteronormative lifestyle Uh, and I think that Again, like like you're like I really like that you're making the point that some people do want that and it's okay. Yeah, it's totally it's okay. <laughs> it wouldn't have been a battle if it wasn't like the majority of people weren't behind it. I I don't know if I want to get married, but I would like the option. When you were growing up, did you think you would be married? I think I did, but the thing is when I was growing up, I lived a lot in daydreams, and in my daydreams I was usually a guy. And that guy would get married. But I never really thought about whether or not I personally was going to get married. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like my daydreams featured um, me as a dude up until like college, I want to say. Eh, maybe high school. And then it, that eventually like went away. But um, I never really thought about if I was going to get married myself until maybe like uh, after college. Then I was like, yeah, I could. It could be a thing. <laughs> And, and did you think of dream about being a man because in our world, like they have more options and more power? It could, it might have been that. I don't know because I didn't, it just has been my, it had always been my default. So I never thought about why that happened. It, that's been like, it's been like that since I can remember, like since I was like three or four or something wow. like that. So I never really thought about why um, it would be, a. it was, it wasn't just like any guy, it was a very specific guy. It was a guy that was the most, I thought, the most handsome dude in Taiwan's very first boy band. <laughs> he is still active now, not in, not in music, not in like a boy band, but he's an actor. He's been an actor for the last like 30 years or something. Wow. But I, for some reason, in my daydreams, it was always him <laughs> interacting in the world. 
maybe he was able to date women freely. Maybe, yeah. I, I also don't feel like I need to like justify or explain that. <laughs> but I, I guess I'm wondering because I have a hard time talking about stuff like that because when I was like seven, eight, nine, I used to dress in like my sister's dresses. Huh. And I would like put her lipstick on when like she like left the house. And then when they'd come home, I'd wipe it off. And it was all in secret. And I used to think that it'd be so much easier if uh-huh. I was a girl. And had you asked me at that point, like, do you want to be a girl? I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Huh. Um, which is so weird because now my perspective is as a man who possibly behaves in some like gender nonconforming ways, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't care about dressing uh, completely like historically masculine, mm-hmm. but I do really enjoy my like manhood and masculinity. However, I choose yeah. to express that. Yeah. You and I are very similar in that, in that way. I definitely don't think when I was, I think when I was a kid, if you're like, could you be, do you want to be a boy? I would have been like, maybe. Yeah, like kind of. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think, I think so. Right. Because like, I feel like in the movie version of this conversation, you and I then would come out to each other as trans, but like, I, I, that's yeah. not going happen on my part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if I would have been like, yes, let's do this. Because I think what I associated with being a boy at the time um, wasn't like power or anything, but it was access to things that my mom didn't let me do. Like she would use it as an excuse. Like I wanted to. Um, I wanted to take martial arts. She's like, that's what boys do. You don't need to do that. Or like, I want to play baseball. And she's like, that's what boys do. Um, so I think it was more, more so of that. Like she wouldn't let me do the things I was interested in because she was like, that's what guys get to do. Yeah. And I saw women showing each other affection and like a a friendly sense. And I just like wanted that friendship and that non-sexual attention from a friend, I think. And I saw it in like women. That's so lovely. I wish, I wish... Kids need to be allowed to do the things that they want to do. Like, I'm really interested in the way the Smith children are growing up. <laughs> Will Smith and oh. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like they they're I mean, aside from the Scientology bit, which we don't know that much about, but like <laughs> I feel like they're they're growing up in, in like a in a in a society where the world that his, their parents have created where gender doesn't quite matter, like sexually doesn't quite matter, and they're sort of doing whatever their heart desires like actually but also they have the money to be able to do stuff like that that's a great point so and from such a like stereotypically masculine father too it's surprising oh yeah that's true interesting yeah i i am i am very curious because both kids are kind of like (laughs) post-gender yeah yeah those those kids but not i feel like not so much the oldest kid trey I know too much about Will Smith. <laughs> really? <laughs> I met him once and I was like, I love you. Oh my God. <laughs> Another queer theme that I see from everyone in our community mm-hmm. is reinvention. Mm. And I think that maybe it's not even reinvention, but it's a a readjusting of ourselves to fit and present the way we see ourselves. Mm. But also I'm thinking in terms of your own life, you've had many different careers. I know, right? <laughs> like you were a emergency medical technician, you went to law school, now you have mm-hmm. a podcast. Yeah. Those things are so widely different from each other. I know. It's so weird. Uh, I have, my personality is just like, if I like a thing, I'm going to dive in and do that thing until I'm like, eh, I don't think this is working for me. <laughs> I never, I, I tend to not just try a thing to like make sure that it's a proper fit i'm like no 100 percent. this is what i want to do and so i feel like i've changed my life a few different times or what i think my life is going to be a few different times the, the when i was an emt i thought i was going to volunteer abroad for the rest of my life i was like human rights 
needs to um needs to happen everywhere and i'm gonna be the person to do that <laughs> did that thing and then i was like you know what actually law is the better way to c- accomplish this role went to law school and then was like um i don't really want to be in an office for most of my life so then i quit that and then turns out i had been listening to podcasts all the time and then so i thought maybe people do this for a living i don't know let's try that are you happy doing podcasting for the most part, yeah. Like, I feel like for me, I'm always being pulled in more than one direction. Like, there's always something that I love doing. At the same time, there's always something else that I also love, but maybe doesn't, doesn't have my full attention. What is that other thing right now? Um, right now, it's... This one has been going on for a long time, just like web development generally. I really enjoy front-end web development, and I'm constantly trying to make sure to keep up on my, like, JavaScript and anything all the different kinds of frameworks <laughs> it's it's fun i really enjoy that that language like coding language then i feel like sometimes i'm not very good at spoken language so being able to write in a different way i really enjoy that's amazing coming from someone who hosts a podcast oh i know i'm so edited you guys it's basically a robot i don't believe that <laughs> it strikes me that the first two careers you had in medical and law are the perfect like expectations for the kid of an immigrant oh i know <laughs> when i went when i became an emt my mom was like why don't you just go be a doctor like i said and i was like because you said that i am not gonna do it <laughs> what did you think you'd be doing when you grew up we're, we're growing up um You'd have to give me a a point in my life to ask that because it, it changed a lot. It changed that much. Yeah. I mean, like when I was in middle school, I thought I was going to be a rancher because <laughs> I was like animals all the time. That's the way to go. Turns out ranchers kill animals for meat and processing. <laughs> so do you don't think you'll be like podcasting forever? No, I don't think so. You don't have to. <laughs> I was talking to Tobin about this the other day where we were like catching up on, um, we had a conversation when we first started this project, like how long do you think this will this will go for? Because it's not, I feel like sometimes we think that audio projects have to become Radiolab or This American Life where it's a big hit and it's ongoing forever, which like is great if you can reach that status. But the truth is most podcasts don't hit that goal or that level of success. So we thought, let's give it five years on our own. This is before WNYC showed up. Let's give it five years and, and doing this on our own and then see what happens. Um, at the end of it, it's reevaluate. That's changed since we started working with WNYC because they have certain resources that we wouldn't have otherwise. And now it's more like, how long can our working relationship um, evolve in a way that it's fulfilling for both of us? And if one day we get to the point where it doesn't make sense for us to work together anymore, then I think we're, we'd both be okay walking away from the, from the project and saving our friendship <laughs> so that we don't end up hating each other working on a thing that we can't handle anymore. Right. I mean, it won't be enjoyable listening if you do yeah, hate each other. exactly. And at some point, I also think, like, if we're doing this for, like, in, like, 10 years, I think it makes sense for younger folks to also to have new voices on the air instead of having us being still being the ones. I also thought maybe I don't think I'll be in podcasting forever because I don't think I have that many role models. Um, there's definitely a lot of women who work in radio and work in podcasting that I, I that I admire, but because I don't really see myself um, in those women out, out there right now, like um, 
a queer Asian woman in her 60s working in audio. There's maybe one or two, but I can't think of anybody's name off the top of my head. So I'm curious if like, it's just because I don't see it. I don't think it's possible. And even it's just interesting that you're aware of that, but you still don't think it's possible. Um, Yeah, I could be that person, but I wonder if I have the interest to be that person. I don't know. I guess that's a really great point though, that because there's no end date for podcasts that's specified that we kind of do expect them to go on forever. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, that that's the hope because you're doing the thing that you love. You want it to just go on. Yeah. But wouldn't you agree sometimes some series, TV shows should just end? I'm the biggest believer in shows <laughs> ending while they're great. Right? Yeah. I don't want a horrible last season. I know. I feel like in the U.S. where that's, that's, they try to jam out as many seasons as they can and at some point it's like there's no more story to tell you guys that i think sometimes ruins tv shows as you enter season three of your show is it still as challenging as it was when you started yes (laughs) different different challenges though um because season one was figuring out what the show is going to sound like and what toby and i were going to be like as hosts how do we translate our actual friendship into um, a friendship that people can enjoy and listen to and not be like smashing you over the head with how cute we are, you know? That, yeah, okay. because it's, it's more than just two friends on a mic. It's very well-crafted. Yeah, we will. We try. Thank you. Surgically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the difficulty now is um, still, you know, finding great stories to tell, featuring as many voices as we can, trying to, what's the word for it? Not cater, but... I, I keep a, a long spreadsheet of all the different topics that readers or not readers, listeners have sent in um, with things they'd like to hear about and trying to make sure we try to cover as much as that as we can. So and while at the same time, like balancing the things that we're interested in and then different storytelling styles and techniques and interviews and, you know, the the things that make a podcast viable, trying to like get certain names onto the show, trying to get our sh- our show onto other podcasts, like this interchange of things. It's, it's a whole lot of stuff to balance out just to keep it ongoing. Once you're published as a podcast, you reach like a certain level of downloads and listenership. And then it's like, how do you bump that up at some point? Because that's it, sometimes it's an organic growth, but most of the time you have to like do something to bump it up. And it's it's a balance of that and then crafting stories. That's that's what the challenge, I think, is now for season three. I think that a argument people have or a critique people have against queer media in general is mm-hmm. that it's so white and male. <laughs> and you, you know, y'all having a uh, two uh, people of color, like one male, one female, it really uh, satisfies a lot of things in that. Yeah, uh, though to me, it's not quite enough yet. <laughs> Oh, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice that that that's true, um, but it's still sort of disheartening to see that you see these trends, right? Like the daily podcasts come out, and now a bunch of different companies are doing the daily news podcasts, but not so much the queer ones. I mean, there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of people doing it on their own, yeah. which is great. Like, but like the companies aren't supporting them. Do, I mean, is that because they think that it's a, such a small segment of the population and so I that they're, they're the only listeners? Because your listeners on, are not only queer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, straight listeners. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know the minds of um, the ones behind the large companies. I don't understand them at all. I, I think it's exactly the way you're talking about. There's not a 
queer Asian lady who's 60 to look up to, <laughs> to as this um, this route of success and this proof of success yeah. that there's not this smashing success of a queer podcast like true, uh, true crime podcast yeah, which oh are, there's God. a thousand now because there's of serial so many of them so when there's a smashing success of a queer podcast that changed the entire industry then everybody will want one that's true and how do you how do you be that that one because my boss would love that <laughs> same my boss would love that too you're talking to him yeah i don't know it's hard yeah i don't but then again i i feel better knowing that most of the people that tried to be serial did not become serial so i don't right. feel i don't feel that bad well i think it's because there was a serial yeah. you know <laughs> yeah you've talked a lot about uh anxiety oh my god is that something you still battle with yeah, I still, I mean, today though, I forgot to take my pill this morning, <laughs> but I take a daily anti-anxiety pill since we launched the the podcast. Um, one, because I was going through a terrible breakup and <laughs> two, because I really never thought that I'd ever be put in a position of talking on mic or in front of people. It's um it's one of those things that I've had anxiety about since I was like a little tiny kid. I hated presentations. I hate talking in front of people. Um, I don't even I can't even play like party games with people because being put be, being feeling like I'm being put on the spot makes me it gives me like an outer body experience of like like I'm always I'm almost like staring at myself being like what are you gonna do next. Really? And then I go blank. Yeah, then my head goes blank. Whatever I'm supposed to say next is gone. It actually happened. I don't know if it was caught on tape, but it happened during the podcast accelerator where Tobin and I won this whole WNYC thing. We were on stage and I had a moment where I just blanked out because I I don't know where I went. I have no idea where I went. But then suddenly I, I, I heard that nobody was talking and I was like, oh, wait, that's me. And then I read the next thing. But that so it affects me a lot. personally, professionally, everything. Oh yeah, it sounds yeah. debilitating. It was it was a thing that affected me personally, and I thought that it was only a personal thing because I it, I've never had a job where that would come into play, and then now it, the two have blended, <laughs> and I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? So went to go see a doctor about it, and he's like, try this for like six weeks and see if you feel better. And I I do I definitely feel much more comfortable behind a microphone, also with practice. And my anxiety is a little bit more in check now. But now I have to do, like, do live shows, and that's a whole nother level <laughs> that I wasn't prepared for. The fact that you're now forced to talk in front of people, does that help it? Um, yes, because um, I've actually realized that talking in front of people, I don't do that whole blank thing as much anymore, so I can actually do that okay. It's like all the anxiety that builds up as you are waiting to go on. That has been, that's usually the part that kills me. You said you're good at one-on-one things. Does that feeling happen before like a date? Ugh, I'm so bad at dates. No, that's a whole nother set of anxieties. Is it really? (laughs) Yeah. I am definitely much better one-on-one, but with a date, it's just like, I feel like I'm so nervous whether or not this person is going to like me that I'm not even really, um... I'm not even trying to see for myself whether or not I like the other person. It's just so interesting talking to you because you are aware of like these issues, you know. <laughs> Some would say I was going to say like, "What about you liking them?" And then, but you still said it. Yeah, you know? I, I can. I'm aware of the things that that because I've thought about it so often. I try to break things down all the time and be like, "Where do things go wrong? 
what was I thinking about? And it helps sometimes. I haven't told you. I don't think I've told you this. Have I told you this? I just recently went through a breakup. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The difference between this breakup and some previous ones, I think, is that I've been really aware of what my emotions have been. I've been able to articulate, like, during the day, I'm fine. At night, not so fine. And I've been filling up the nights with television shows and movies and stuff like that to make myself not have to think too much. But if I, like, just lay down in bed and I think about what is the emotion that I'm trying to avoid right now, it's just, like, plain old sadness and loneliness. Wow. And I can be like, those are the things. But to me, though... (laughs) It doesn't help just to know what they are. And I'm still sort of at a loss. Like, what do I do with this information? I have all of this information. What do I do with it? Was this break up your choice? No. None of my breakups have ever been my choice. Oh, really? I've never broken up with anybody before. I know. It's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah. Well, that's I, me. And like all the breakups are always my choice. <laughs> what? I feel like we each have what the other one wants or maybe I... needs is more like it. <laughs> my question, my question for you is how do you walk away from people though? Like I, I have such a hard time doing that. So the caveat of what I'm going to say is that I probably walk away too fast and too soon, uh... but I walk away because I know that it's not right or I don't mm. like the way that I'm being treated. And I am okay being alone because in the words of Kelly Clarkson, it doesn't mean I'm lonely, you know? I see. And I have absolutely no problem spending an entire day by myself. To me, that's like luxurious. Yeah. So I'm not thinking about other people during that day because I like, um, I know this sounds weird. I like really enjoy my own company. No, that's awesome. That's what you want. Yeah. It took me a long time to get to this point too. Okay. Okay. And I also, the other caveat is, you know, the, the saying you have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. Yeah. I think sometimes that I did too good of a job learning to love myself. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm on a date and it's just okay, like we're probably not going to go out again because I don't like need that attention. (laughs) And so I'm really worried about that. You know, back when we were talking about um, putting stuff out that you know is good, you wouldn't put out like bad things. Yeah. The way I feel is that something can always be better. So if I if I were operating in your shoes, I wouldn't put anything out ever because I would never be finished with it. And I feel like I take that into relationships where this can clearly not be working for me anymore, but it could probably be better if I just did X, Y, and Z. I want to say that that's just kind of – that. maybe that's why I almost never walk away from people because even if I have the thoughts of, I don't think this is really going to work. Can I really spend the rest of my life with this person? The answer is maybe <laughs> – yeah, and maybe because I have been hurt by people so many times or I've paid attention to human behavior, I don't personally believe that people really can change that much uh, or they don't want to change. And so I don't yeah. stick around hoping they'll change because I know that I'm not happy and it's going to remain this way for six months. Oh, but like, I don't, I also don't think people can change. I try to change myself to fit. It's almost like I am the key. Yeah. And I just got to find the right mold of that key to fit into this thing to magically unlock this relationship like magic. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, this key is metal and it's not yeah. moving. <laughs> I want to be more like you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've had many other more relationships than me too. And like, who's to say what's right and wrong? <laughs> uh, I think you're right. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think about it a lot too, mm-hmm. because I see, I also see many people in bad relationships and yeah. 
many amazing people dating bad people and then they break up. Yeah. And I kind of avoid those bad relationships because mm-hmm. I don't have the time for it. I don't want to like I wake see. up. I um I, like I want to wake up early and go to the gym. I don't want to like wake up at their place and like go home and like change. <laughs> you know, I like my daily routine. Yeah, that's nice. I don't really have a routine really right now. I we're about out of time. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me to be on your show. I'm I so excited. It. Of course, of course, of yeah. course. This is like a fast exit, but I'm okay with it. Okay, okay. just chop me up. And that's our show. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe. Subscribing and especially leaving a comment on iTunes is one of the biggest ways you can help our show grow. That and posting about us all over social media. So big thank you for all of that. Social media is also a great way to connect if you want to recommend a guest. I love hearing from you each week. I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1. You can also sign up for our newsletter at lgbtqpodcast.com. That's a great way to stay up to date on all of our new episodes and live shows. We've got a couple coming up this summer on either coast, so stay tuned for that. lgbtqpodcast.com. I also want to mention that this summer I'm going to be doing AIDS Life Cycle. Now, what is AIDS Life Cycle? It is a 545-mile bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles. It's about seven days, and we're doing this to raise money for the life-saving services of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and LA LGBT Center. If you want to contribute or are able to contribute, I would absolutely love that. I have a page up at tofighthiv.org slash go to slash jeffmasters1. There's also a link in the show notes here and across all my social medias. Special thanks to our partners at Panoply, our old home at AfterBuzz TV, the Elon University in Los Angeles studio, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.